All right, friends, if we can, let's open up our Bibles to Acts 28. Acts 28. Rafe, also very grateful to serve in ministry with you. And South Loop, thank you for sharing your pastor with us uh, at Bridgeport. Clearly a man with great teaching gifts, so our folks are always very edified uh, when he comes around. And as you guys know as well, too, the 9 a.m. is kind of where we kind of just kind of dump everything here, and then we get to refine it on the road there. So at Bridgeport, we always get the best material when it, when it gets over there. So at X, X28, so really appreciate you guys. X28, uh, uh, and if we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Kenson. I serve as a pastor at our Bridgeport location. Now, as you guys turn to X28, uh, let me start off with this. You know, in the movie Jurassic Park, the first movie, the very, very first one, John Hammond creates a park in which he clones dinosaurs. So he brings in some of the best scientists in the world to impress them. And early in the movie, John Hammond makes it a point to say that I have everything under control. Everything under control primarily because all the dinosaurs that are cloned are female. So they can't reproduce. But then you have Dr. Ian Malcolm who is completely unimpressed. And he says to John Hammond, the kind of control you're attempting simply is not possible. Life cannot be contained. Life breaks free, it expands through new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously. Then one of the scientists gets annoyed and says, are you implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed. Dr. Malcolm replies, no, I am simply saying life finds a way. Life finds a way. Now, if you want to know what the book of Acts is all about, replace the word life with the word gospel. The gospel always finds a way. The gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel breaks through all barriers. You can kill its messengers. You can throw them in prison. You can get, you, there, there can be a worldwide pandemic. It doesn't matter. The gospel will find a way because it is the very power of God for salvation. Amen? Amen. Now, today we close out our sermon series in the book of Acts that we began on February 7th, and what we have seen chapter by chapter is the gospel spreading far and wide, that e even in the midst of opposition. Now, today in Acts 28 here, Paul finally arrives to Rome, and this has not been an easy journey. There's been a lot of rejection, threats on his life, assassination attempts. He's been stoned and flogged, imprisoned, falsely accused. And last week, we saw that he was in a shipwreck and bit by a snake. This was a hard journey. It's been a really difficult one. But in the midst of all this, God has provided for him and sustained him. Now, as we close out our book here today, What's interesting is, is that we receive no closure on Paul's life. Since chapter 9, we've been following his life. We've seen his conversion, his three missionary journeys, his arrest and defenses. And now at the very end of the book, where it's supposed to have the nice bow on top, the happily ever after, the book just abruptly ends. Here are the last two final verses. Verse 30. Paul he, he lived there two whole years at his own expense, house arrest in Rome, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, period. 
That's it. Now, this is a frustrating ending because it leaves more questions than answers. You're asking, well, does Paul meet Caesar? Does that happen? You know, does he share the gospel with him? Is he released? Is he executed? What happens to the rest of his life? What's going on here? The author Luke gives no closure to Paul's life here. As a matter of fact, the final picture that we get in Acts 28 is that Paul is still in prison chains. What's going on here? Is this just bad storytelling? Now, I would agree that this is bad storytelling if the focus of the book of Acts was about Paul. But this is where the author Luke is wise in how he ends because the book of Acts is not about Paul. The book of Acts has always been about Jesus Christ. Paul is not the hero. Jesus is the hero. Acts has always been about the gospel of Jesus Christ going to the ends of the earth. That is why the book of Acts feels unfinished, because the mission is unfinished. The mission to seek, the, to, to, to save, to seek and save the lost didn't stop with Paul, but it continues on through the Spirit of God, working through his church, working through us. You and I are still writing the book of Acts. You know, a better way to see the ending of Acts is that Paul has run the last leg of his race. He is bruised, battered, his elbows are all cut up, filthy from head to toe, and he now passes the baton to us. It's our turn now to continue the story of the book of Acts. You know, so with that, what I want to do here today is close by giving three guiding principles from our verses, and frankly, principles that we've seen throughout the book of Acts on what it will take to see the gospel flourish and move from these seats to the streets and to the world. And here are the three guiding principles. First, we need one another to endure in this. We need one another to do this. Second, we need to share because we do have the message of hope. And finally, we need to be bold because opposition is not a hindrance. Opposition is not a hindrance. So here's the first guiding principle. In seeing the gospel flourish and progress through our church, we need one another to endure. So let's start at verse 11 here, chapter 28. This says this. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the tin twin gods as a figurehead, putting in it at its Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petilii. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Epitus and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage." And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Okay, so last week we see that Paul's on his way to Rome. A typhoon hits the water and he is shipwrecked on the island of Malta with 275 other men. And while on this island, God gives Paul an incredible healing ministry and no doubt Jesus is proclaimed. Now in verse 11, we see that Paul has stayed on this island for three months until the weather and water has become more favorable for sailing. So, we get, so they get back on the boat, they're heading towards Rome, and along the way they make stops.
stops. They make a stop at Syracuse. They make a stop at Regium. And they make a stop at Petilii. And we read that when Paul arrives at Petilii, we see that brothers in the faith meet Paul and invite him to stay for seven days. So then Paul gets back on a boat, makes his way to Rome. And when he makes his way to Rome, he is greeted by other brothers from the city. That some of them travel as far as 65 miles to see Paul. And notice what this does for Paul's heart. Verse 15, the last phrase. Paul thanked God and took courage. Why did Paul thank God? Because God was providing for him. God was giving him exactly what he needed to endure in this gospel mission. And it was other brothers and sisters in the faith. You know, so often when we think about Paul, we can assume that Paul was a loner. You know, he was tough as nails. He didn't need anybody in ministry. That's not true at all. Not true at all. Paul here says that he took courage from them. Do you know what that implies? It meant that his heart was discouraged. That there were times where his heart was hurt. This journey has been really lonely at times. He's been hunted down as an animal. He's been rejected. This has been a hard life. So you can just imagine that as Paul makes his way into Rome, just how happy he is to be greeted, to be embraced, to be welcomed with believers that he has actually never met directly before. Just to keep this in mind, prior to Paul coming to Rome, and this is his first time in Rome, he actually wrote a letter to the church in Rome that we know as the book of Romans. He wrote the letter in 57 AD, and now he arrives to Rome in 60 AD. And it's in this letter we have the clearest explanation of the gospel. So these believers have had the last three years, three years to be encouraged and strengthened by Paul, by his writing. And now when they know that Paul shows up, they do the exact same for him. Paul, God knew that Paul needed encouragement to endure. What this means to see the gospel flourish and move here in the South Loop, in Pilsen, in Bronzeville, in Armour Square, in China, Chinatown, in the Loop, we need one another. We need the church to be able to endure in this. We need people to look us in the eye and say, I am so proud of you. I see a work of God in your life. I am so thankful for you. Your life and your example ministers to me. You're exactly where God needs you to be. I've got your back. You're not alone. We need to hear all these things to endure. There's been so many times in my life when someone has come to me and encouraged me just at the right time and everything changed. Have you had moments like that? Those are the divine moments where it just feels like God is talking to you himself through someone else. You know, I've shared this story before, but before being a pastor here at Park, I actually came from a really challenging season of ministry in my previous church. I was really discouraged and doubtful of God's calling on my life. You know, some of the church leaders were actually telling me, hey, Kenson, man, after a couple of years working with you, we just don't think that you're fit to be a pastor. You should be looking for different work. Man, it was devastating to hear that. So when I got here to Park, which is a miracle in itself, I spent the first year of ministry struggling with a lot of insecurity and fear of rejection. So one day as I was sitting in the offices doing work and, and eating lunch, because that's what we all do, we, we work and eat lunch at the same time, the lead pastor at the time, Jackson Crum, 
who, who, who I really respected as an example of a godly man and pastor, he was just making his way to the restroom, and my desk was right along the way, so he's making his way to the restroom. He stops at my desk, pats me on the back, and says, Kenson, you're a good pastor. I'm so glad that God brought you here. And he continues on his way. And as he's walking on his way, I'm quietly bawling in my seat. Like, oh, what just happened here? And, and to this day, he does not know that moment, but I do. And I remember, I remember the excitement and joy that it brought back to ministry. I remember how seen and heard I felt. And I go back to those words often, especially when I'm discouraged in ministry, because it helps me to endure. We also need the encouragement from one another to endure in this mission. But here's the problem. Many of us don't need the encouragement because we're not living intentionally for the gospel. You know, Rafe said this so well last week that too many of us are living in a bubble-wrapped Christianity that we live risk-free, far from any discomfort. And frankly, if you are living this way 24-7 every single day of the week, you don't need the comfort of other believers because you're already comfortable. You're already there. Is it any wonder why so many Christians, when it comes to the Sunday worship gatherings or to small groups or to any opportunity to pray or to fellowship with other believers, it feels so optional. It feels like such a nuisance. It feels like such an inconvenience. It's because we're not living in such a way that needs that encouragement. But if you live in a way to honor God, you live with gospel purpose. You live with risk and boldness throughout the week. Monday to Saturday, the world is dismissing you. The world is challenging you. The world is exhausting you. When Sunday rolls around, when small group rolls around, it will not feel like a drag. You will hunger for it because this is the one place where they get you. You're not crazy. You are a child of God. You are not alone. Keep this up. Way to go. One of the great gifts of the gospel is that we are not alone. So take courage in fellowshipping with one another and look for opportunities to give others courage in their faith so that they can endure. We need one another for this mission. Here's the second guiding principle. If we want to see the gospel move and flourish through our church, we need to share. Okay, we need to share. We've, we've said that pretty much every single week because we have the message of hope, okay? So Paul's in house arrest, which means he has his own lodging. Now he is still chained to a guard 24-7, so he can't leave his house, but others could visit him. So let's look at verse 17 and 18 here. It says this. After three days of being in Rome, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. And verse, a little bit of verse, nine, verse 19, but because the Jews objected, okay? Now, let me just pause here real quick. So Paul here, as his custom, shares the gospel with the Jews first in Rome. But since he can't go to them, he invites all the Jewish leaders to where he's at. 
And the first thing he does when they show up is that he explains why he's in chains. That he tells them that I'm, I'm not in chains because I defiled the temple or that I slandered the law of Moses. I've been examined over and over again by the Jewish council, by Felix, Festus, Agrippa, and they all know that I'm innocent. But the Jews still won't relent. They still want to see me die. So Paul says here that I had to appeal to Caesar because it was the only way that I could get a fair trial. And in verse 19, Paul continues on. But because the Jews objected, the Jews would not relent. I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. Even though the Jews have tried to hurt and kill me, my desire has not been to attack, it was not to attack them, has not been to retaliate against them. So Paul, what is your desire then? What do you want to see happen? Verse 20, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this, this chain. I'm in these chains because I have good news to share. My desire is not to hurt Israel, it's to give them hope. And the Jewish leaders are like, all right, we want to hear more. So they come back and they bring everyone with them. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to Paul at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, okay? So what is the hope of Israel? Or better, who is the hope of Israel? It is Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, that for 3,500 years, this is who the Jews have been waiting for, and Paul now says, the waiting is over. Jesus is here. He has come. This is why Christmas is a big deal. Jesus has come. Emmanuel has come. But the Jews, they're not buying it. So Paul spends the time to prove it to them. He has a Bible study with them from morning to evening. That is about 12 hours, 12 hours, okay? So let me just say that if myself or Rafe here, if we ever go like over 40 minutes in a sermon, cut us a break here, okay? It's not 12 hours, all right? So give us a little bit of grace here. It also says that he expounded to them, which is a word that literally means to expose. What did Paul expose? He took the law of Moses and the prophets, which is just another way of saying the entire Old Testament, and he shows them how every page points to Jesus. So you can just imagine that in this 12-hour Bible study, Paul is going through a very long list to prove his point. That he first says to them, keep this in mind, that I want you to know that Jesus was born of a virgin, which fulfills Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. But not only that, Jesus was born from the line of David, from the line of kings. Thus he is the rightful heir, ruler of the people of Israel and the world. And this is a fulfillment that God gives to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And then I can see Paul going to the Exodus story and talking about the angel of death passing over the people because an animal, a lamb, has been sacrificed. A lamb has been bled out so that they can protect them. Jesus, guess what? He is that perfect lamb. I can see Paul going to Genesis chapter 3 and how God promises that a child will one day come and will crush the head of the serpent. That's Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. He rises again on the third day to defeat Satan once and for all. 
all roads point to Jesus. This is the hope of Israel. This is the hope of the world. And notice, the hope of Israel wasn't just for them, for them who are listening. It's also his hope. This is why he could put on the chains because his hope was not in this world, it was in the world to come. His hope was in the kingdom of God. His hope was spending eternity with Jesus. Do you see? Paul didn't just talk about hope in Jesus. He lived it out every day. If we want to see the gospel flourish and move across our city and world, we have to expound Christ. We have to expose Christ through our words and through our deeds. Our words give clarity to the gospel and our deeds give power and credibility to those words. Now, look at the response of the people here. Verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So again and again, we see this in the book of Acts. You will have some that will be persuaded, and you will have some who will disbelieve. And in verses 26 to 27, Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 6, which is a well-known passage of Israel's hardness of heart during the time of captivity and exile. So Paul is calling them out. He's calling out the people who are turning away, who are rejecting this message. He is saying to them that your rejection is not because of a lack of information. We've just studied the Bible for 12 hours, you're rejecting because of your pride. No doubt here, Paul is disappointed by the rejection as he should be. But here's the thing. Even though there was rejection, there were some who did believe. Their hearts were not hard, but soft and good soil. In the same way, There are people around us that God is preparing to receive the gospel. And what they need is someone to plant the seed. Will you be that person? And what we see from Paul here is that he took the time to do this. That as much as, what we, as much as we can what we want to do this, as much as we want to fill a, a helicopter with all these gospel tracks and just have them drop all these gospel tracks all across the South Loop area and see a revival happen, yes, God could do that. But that's not God's plan A. His church is the plan A here. So what that means is that we need to spend the time. We need to have the long conversations. We need to answer the hard questions. We need to live out our faith in front of other people. We can't be passive about this. And just like Paul, he opened up his home, even though it was a prison, he opened it up and he extended the invites over to his house so that other people can hear and see the hope that he has. And especially right now in our culture, as less and less people have a churched or biblical background in our society, it means that it's going to take longer and longer to teach them this because we can't start with some like Bible stories. They don't have that knowledge. We got to back it up all the way so that we can catch them up to all that the scriptures are teaching. If we want to break through the hard soil, it can't be done overnight. It can't be done when, you know, just one and done here. It takes faithfulness and consistency to work the ground before you see a breakthrough. Notice here that in verse 23, from day one of house arrest, what does it say? It says that Paul teaches on the kingdom of God and Jesus. Now look at verse 31. After two years of still being in house arrest, what is Paul doing? The very same words. 
teaching on the kingdom of God and Jesus. You see that? Paul kept at it, and because of that, people came to faith. For many of us, we came to faith because someone spent the time to open up the Bible to teach us that they didn't just drop in and drop out, but they spent the time. In the same way, we have got to keep at it. For many of us here, the reason we're not seeing people come to faith around us isn't because God doesn't want to use you. We just got to keep at it. It's not one and done. Someone did it for you. Will you do it for others? Will you share the hope you have in Christ? And here's the final guiding principle to seeing the gospel flourish and move across the city and world. We need to be bold because opposition is not a hindrance, but an opportunity, okay? So verse 30, once again, it says that he lived there two whole years at his own expense. So Paul waits another two years in house arrest to make his case before Caesar. And the reason it takes two years is because that was the allowed time for accusers to make their cases to the court. So they had to give him two years to make those travel plans. So you have to assume that as Paul is waiting here for two years, He's got to be discouraged and dejected because keep in mind, right before this two-year stint, he was in a shipwreck. But right before that shipwreck, he was in two years in prison in Caesarea. He's been in prison for a very long time. This guy has got to be discouraged. No. Verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. For Paul, the chains were not a hindrance to his mission. It was an opportunity to welcome and proclaim that during his two-year stint in house arrest, we know that Paul writes four letters to the churches, and we have it in our Bible. It's Philippians, it's Ephesians, it's Colossians, and it's Philemon. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 4. Let me show you. As he's in house arrest, he writes this. He says this to the church. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, for me, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. I love this. Notice this. Paul is asking the church for prayer, but what does he ask for? He doesn't ask to be released from prison. That's what I would pray for. He asks that doors may be open for the word, to share the word. Opposition was not a hindrance. He was making the very most of his time by engaging outsiders, by engaging those who are spiritually lost. And we know that during this time in house arrest, people came to faith. Uh, Let me show you Philemon. Philemon here, verses 9 to 10 here. Verses 9 to 10. It says this, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, house arrest, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. 
Paul converts Onesimus, a household servant, a Philemon. So that's one conversion that happens in house arrest. But we also know that Paul converted the prison guards, that the guards had to shift rotations every six hours throughout the day. So you can just imagine, Paul, I got six hours with this dude. Let's talk about Jesus. This is what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 1. He says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, house arrest, has really served to advance the gospel so that, that has be, so that it has become known throughout the imperial guard and to the, all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I love this. The church in Philippi is probably thinking, oh man, oh man, our best player, he's out of the lineup. He's been benched, benched. He's not in the game. The guy who's planting all these churches, the guy who's converting all these people, he's done. He's in chains. No. Paul says these chains have not hindered the gospel. It has advanced the gospel. The whole imperial guard has heard about Jesus. Guards are receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. Did you see? Opposition is not a hindrance to the gospel. It became an opportunity. Hardships did not stop Paul, and it should not stop us. But, but, too often, it does, doesn't it? It does. Many times when hardships come into our lives, we don't see it as a big opportunity. It's the opposite. It's a big mistake. That because it's so hard, it can't be what God wants. So what happens is that instead of stepping into the opposition, we avoid it. That we don't want the baton. You just drop it on the floor. I don't want it if it's going to be this hard. But here's the thing. Remember this, church. For Christ followers, risk is right. Risk is right. Because the gospel is not the good news that when you come to Christ, you get to keep your life. The gospel is the good news that when we come to Christ, we get to lose it for Jesus. That the gospel is not a promise that if we follow Jesus, life will always be good to us or that everything's going to work out in the end. The gospel is a promise that we get Jesus no matter what, no matter the circumstances. And sometimes, very often, Facing opposition might be the very thing that shows off the worth of the gospel. That just because something is hard does not mean it's not what God wants. For Paul, the opposition was worth it because Jesus was worth it. Why? It's because he knew the gospel. He knew that there was no opposition that Jesus didn't face to save us. That because of our sins, Jesus was betrayed. He was unjustly condemned. He was nailed to the cross. He was rejected by the Father. He drank the cup of God's wrath. Jesus willingly did this for God's glory in our redemption because it was worth it. Do you see? Facing opposition was the very way, very way that Jesus showed us how much he loved us. He was willing to go through all of that to save you. Doesn't that make you feel special? Isn't that incredible? That in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was overwhelmed and sweating, literally sweating blood, he had a choice. He could leave. He could have played it safe. 
He could have bubble wrapped himself, right? He could have done all of that. He could have run from the opposition, but he doesn't do that. Why? It's because he would not run away from us. This is why Paul could face opposition, because Jesus was worth it. And this is why we can face opposition, opposition for the gospel, because not only do we have a Savior who faced our opposition, we have a Savior who overcame the opposition. John chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is why as Christ followers, we don't have to be crushed by opposition. We don't have to run from opposition because the same power that Jesus had to overcome the world now lives in us. So be bold. Opposition is not a hindrance to us because it is not a hindrance to the gospel. Once again, in the book of Acts, Everything that stood in opposition to the gospel, the unbelieving Jews, the mobs, Felix, Festus, Agrippa, the flesh, the devil, and even sometimes believers in the church stood in opposition. And what we see over and over again is that you can try to kill and imprison Christ followers, but you can't kill and imprison the gospel. It is unhindered. The gospel cannot be chained. The gospel will always find a way. Amen? Amen. Again, this is why the book of Acts ends so abruptly. That's why there is no closure for Paul's situation, because it is not about Paul. And it is not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And we know from church history that Paul will be released from this house arrest, but a year later he will be arrested again, and it's at that time he will be beheaded by Emperor Nero. There's no record of that in Acts? What? It's because even though Paul is dead, the Holy Spirit remains. And the mission continues. Park, here we are, 2,000 years later. God has put us here in Chicago. He's put us here in the South Loop and the surrounding neighborhoods again, right? Pilsen, Bronzeville, Chinatown, Armour Square. It's all around us, the loop here. Are we going to do what God is doing in the city and the world. Paul got the gospel to Rome. Will we get it into our communities? Will we get into our workplaces? Will we get into our homes? Will we get it into the world? Church, it is time to wake up, pray up, sing up, read up, and pay up. But don't ever give up, let up, or shut up until everyone has heard, until there is no place left to go with the gospel. It is impossible for those who have tasted the gospel, felt its love, understood its implications, and then stay quiet about it. If you get the gospel, you'll be whispering it to your children. You'll be pleading with your friends. You'll be inviting them, as Rafe said earlier, to, to experience Christmas with you at the church together. That you'll be giving generously to help others to go, like in church planting, training up pastors, sending missionaries to the nations. You'll be volunteering in our children's ministry back over there because the children's ministry is it's not some glorified babysitting time. The children's ministry is to build a foundation for the next generation to carry the baton. You'll be praying for the lost daily and asking faith for their salvation. You'll be pleading on their behalf because you believe in a God who saves. This is how the gospel spreads far and wide. So church, the baton has been handed to us. 
Will we continue where Paul left off? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you for pretty much the entirety of this year. That God, that we've had the gift of the book of Acts. That Father, that we have seen over and over again that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of challenges, persecution, imprisonment, Lord, all of these things that we would consider just a nail in the coffin when it comes to gospel movement, that Father, the gospel flourished, the gospel moved, and God, today, 2,000 years later, the gospel's here in this union hall and this, at this church here. Father, we thank you that your spirit is unstoppable, that your son Jesus Christ and the work that he's accomplishing is unstoppable. So Father, I pray for us as a church that even though today we wrap up the last pages, the last verses of the book of Acts, they got that the, the mission does not end here. Lord, the boldness does not end, the proclamation does not end, but that, Father, that it continues because, Father, that we have a lost world who is hungry and in need of a Savior. And, God, we have a good news to share. So, Father, help us to lean into each other for support and encouragement. But, Father, most importantly, help us to lean into you because you are a good, good Father. It's in Christ's name we pray.